Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so happy to have Emily Jacobs on the Arthritis Life podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yay. Can you give everyone just a quick intro to you, like where you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Sure. Um, so Emily Jacobs, um, I live in Maryland, in Southern Maryland, which is an important distinction because we're south of where most people think we are. Maryland has this weird peninsula that comes down. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So like I tell people, I used to live in Northern Virginia and then I moved south to Maryland, which is like, oh, that is confusing. Like, yeah. Yeah, but I did. Um, so yeah, but about 30 miles outside of DC. So um, that's the nice part. I have access to a lot of resources here. Um, a little bit about me is I've been an ER nurse for about 12 years, um, mostly working, well, only really working night shift. Um, I have three kids, they're ages 10, eight, and four, three girls. Um, I'm married and um, I've been dealing with rheumatoid arthritis since. I was trying to look back at this. I was thinking I was formally diagnosed when I was around 22, 23. So I think we say 2005 just to keep it easy. Um, and I think like with a lot of people, it was, uh, it took me a little while to get really, to really accept that diagnosis. And, and <laughs> well, it took me a really long time to accept it, but to even yeah. just believe that that's what it was. I saw, I saw a lot of different rheumatologists in the first like oh. year or two. Um, just trying to get additional opinions and <laughs> they all drilled it in that it was just, they all thought it was the same thing. So mm -hmm. that was on one hand, nice, but, um, but yeah, so I've, I've been dealing with, uh, rheumatoid arthritis for almost 20 years, not quite. Um, yeah. and it's been up and down <laughs> yeah. to say the least. <laughs> Had you already gotten your nursing degree at that time? No, okay, no, no. Okay. I was, yeah, I was, I was fresh out of college actually. Okay, so okay. we were really, really similar. We're really I'm like, similar. Yeah. Just like a year behind you and chronologically, but yeah. 
Yeah, like that. I, I think that was one of the things that drew me to your podcast. And like once I started hearing your story, because it was like, oh, this is nice. Someone who's around my age talking about RA, that's exciting. And then it was, oh, wait, we have very similar kind of landmarks in our yeah. story. Um, yeah, so I was, I had just graduated from college. I had moved to DC. Um, I was like living, you know, the single young lady life with my girlfriends, roommates, like it, everything was great. I was, a, um, I had played division one water polo in college. Right. And wow. so I had been this, like, I've been an athlete my whole life. I was really strong. I was, yeah. um, I mean, fit <laughs> sort of, but you know, I was, I'd always been an water athlete. Water polo and- is not a sport you can <laughs> skate by on without being fit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Right. Like I, you know, I weight lifted. I did all that stuff. And I actually was still playing water polo when I moved to DC. There were some oh, adult wow. teams like master's teams down here. I was playing on two different teams. Um, and that's where I start. I started having real symptoms that I was like, what's oh. going on? I can't, what that, that's a weird pain. Like, and I had mm. plenty of shoulder issues in my years of sports and stuff like that. So I knew a little bit, um, but this was a different pain. And also just like a different functionality, like the stiffness was there. And I was like, right. yeah, it so, does feel quite different than like a muscle soreness that you yeah. get from overexertion and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I couldn't identify, like, it was weird. Cause I was like, I know my body, like I know these kinds of things mm-hmm. and not being a medical person, just being someone who had gotten enough injuries and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was what made me it was that and it was and I had swelling in my knees bilaterally that oh, was that okay. that so so when I went into my first rheumatology appointment well, actually I did have one doctor tell me that she didn't think it was anything but when I went in to a rheumatologist the I mean every everyone was like this is textbook RA <laughs> like mm. you you're you're the spitting image of the textbook of the descriptions and all of that so I've never had positive blood work um, oh, okay I've always been, I mean, I've had elevated numbers with things like CRP, of course. Mm -hmm, And like, mm -hmm. um, I've had some elevated things, but I've never had a positive, um, RH factor or, you know, that kind of stuff, but I've just been such textbook symptoms that every (laughs) doctor who's ever looked at me been like, this is all right. (laughs) So, okay. So after you got all those second opinions, like what, Mm -hmm. When did it sink in, and what did that feel like when you re- when you kind of had to accept that you really have it? Okay, so I, in hindsight, I feel like this sounds a little bit crazy, but I'm this is the honest truth. Okay, no, so this is what we're here for: honest arthritis, right? truth. Yeah. arthritis, yeah. life truth. Well, sometimes I'm like, what was I? What? Well, so okay, no so better, do I, better. Yeah, right. Yeah, so exactly, right. Yeah. So my symptoms would appear for the first several years only in the summer. I don't know if that has to do with humidity and barometric pressure in DC. I've had some people say that to me. Um, I don't know, you know, who's ever going to know, but I would only have symptoms for like late May until August timeframe. And, and I, for a while could manage those with Advil, Tylenol, Aleve, just alternating so that I didn't get too toxic, but I would take those things. Um, and particularly because none of the rheumatologists wanted to put me on any hardcore medicines because I was so young. So they were kind of like, well, if you can just deal with it, just deal with it. And of mm. course I was an athlete. You're talking so you're to like, an athlete. Yeah. I can but, deal with it. I can deal with anything. But just, <laughs> right? just so people know that the, who are listening now in 2022, the current recommendation is hundred percent 
the current recommendation is opposite of that is early aggressive treatment. But so it's changed a lot in even just 20 years. But for some weird reason, my rheumatologist was, she was following the recommendation that they're doing now back then. I think that was maybe just luck of the draw. And that's what can drive people nuts is that there's a lot of variability Mm -hmm. between professionals. And that's just the nature of healthcare, right? Like, you know, as an ER nurse, probably way more than I do. But the point Mm -hmm. is that she put me on methotrexate and Enbrel right away. And, um, I know, and that doesn't even, that's unheard of now to even get approved for, for a biologic that quickly, because I was just going to say, sorry, I think I I did do, I always say right away. I think I was on methotrexate by itself and prednisone for like three months. And then when it was still like, I guess all my markers were just so awful. I was going to say, it must've been really severe too. And I had rheumatoid cachexia, like, which is like severe muscle wasting. Like I had gone from 130 pounds to 105. Like, and I had of course been accused of having an eating disorder and all this stuff Mm. before. And I'm saying accused because I didn't, um, I wanted Mm. to to eat. I wanted to look, I wanted to, you know, be strong and bigger like I was before, Mm -hmm. but, um, Mm -hmm. but no one had, I mean, who in the world would think I have one sprained finger, quote unquote sprained finger. I only had one joint that that hurt. Now that is weird, but, but, but then that was for a couple of years before diagnosis. Then when I got my diagnosis or the reason I got my diagnosis is that I then, after I lost these 25 pounds, wait, yeah, 25 pounds. It's just, it's, I, I can't even explain how I thought I was just dying. And the, but if you think you're dying and then everyone's like, but you're just anxious. And I'm like, like, I can't win because I am anxious because I feel like I'm dying. Like, yeah, and but if I tell you that, you're then you're like, 20s. yeah, you're dying. Cause you, you feel that way. Cause you're just anxious. I'm like, no, I'm anxious. Cause something's happening in my body. I know something mm-hmm. wrong is happening in my body, but every time I say that, I sound more crazy. It's kind of like mm-hmm. Taylor Swift's like, every time you say I look I sound crazy, I get more crazy. <laughs> anyway, so anyway, but then I woke up one morning and lucky for me, all of my fingers, toes, every single joint, um, mm-hmm. knees, elbows, suddenly it wasn't just one sprained finger. It was everything. Oh. And that's when I got my diagnosis. And they're like, okay, yeah, you were not lying about not having eating disorder. You actually have rheumatoid arthritis. Anyway, but point being, sorry, but that any even back then, yeah, there was a lot of variability. And I do know that a lot of people did say they're they're worried because at that point the biologics were so new that they didn't know the long, long term side effects. You know, they Mm -hmm. didn't know if they were going to be causing cancer and stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. anyway, sorry, I just want to make sure people who are listening now know that a lot of people do want to be conservative at first, but the best Mm -hmm. practice is to be more more aggressive mm-hmm. with medication at first and then taper it down later. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I do, you know, to give credit to the, to the medical professionals that I did see, I mean, they, uh, you know, my blood work was negative. So I think That's they were true. like, yeah, yeah. You're, you're a 23 year old who's been an athlete, like not, but like, I was strong. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, it I wasn't, wasn't like my way. I wasn't. Yeah. Like we, we presented very differently mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at the time. And I, and I would go in and sort of, and I would have all these sort of, like, I was questioning things. I was not a nurse, as we said, like I was not a mm-hmm. medical professional, but I was like, I just get this weird swelling and stiffness and pain for like three months. But if, if I get moving around, I feel better. And so Mm. it's fine. You know what I mean? And they were like, yeah, that sounds. And I was like, but what the thing for me, and this is such like a personal little side thing, but I remember, and I don't remember when this was, but it was after I had at least seen one of these rheumatologists who said, yes, I think it's RA, you know, blah, blah, blah. In the beginning, I didn't know what that meant. To me, it was like, 
oh, a special kind of arthritis, but like, okay, it's arthritis. Mm-hmm. It was that I totally fell into that misnomer of like, hey, it's just this. Yeah. And I remember calling my mom who, um, my mom is a nurse and I remember, mm-hmm. and she was a, you know, there's that, there's the whole joke of like, you're raised by a nurse, which means like, you never, there's never anything wrong with you. Like yeah. everything is like, you're fine. Just rub it. You're fine. Which was totally like, that's a joke in our family. No, um, I, yeah. But when I called my, yeah. Like when I called my mom and told her that I had RA her, she immediately went, no, like yelled mm-hmm. into the phone. No, because she knew what that meant. And I just remember being like, this is my mom who t- who says everything is fine. It's no yeah. big deal. Just deal with it. And I don't, she's not harsh. Don't get me wrong. Like, but you know, no, it's, yeah, it, it things are, cause she also has enough sense to know if it's really a serious emergency or not. Right. And exactly. as, as an ER nurse with my kids, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. She was like, immediately was like, no, that's a terrible diagnosis. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what actually kind of scared me in the beginning. And then I started doing some research and I was like, oh, this is not a good thing to have. Like this yeah. stinks. And I, I remember trying to find books. Um, on it. And a lot of the stuff I read was all about people who were older. I mean, it was truly like, at that point, it was like, everybody's in their, you know, 60s or 80s when they get RA. Like, what? Like, how am I? So, yeah, so that, but that, that kind of, um, I was saying, like, I saw a bunch of different doctors, like I saw them over the first few years. Mm -hmm. And I and, and then but it would also be like, I would just see them when I would have the symptoms flare up and they'd flare up in the summer, but then I'd go mm-hmm. for like nine months, totally fine, going to the gym, working out, mm. you know, doing all this other stuff. And to that point, my husband, so he's my husband now, we've been married for a while. At the time he was my boyfriend. He ended up having a huge medical situation, oh, which no. is what led me to become a nurse. So it was like, oh. he had this huge thing that, it's a long story, but basically he was in the ICU. He was in the hospital in and out for several like weeks out of a couple different months. He, and he was out of work for six months. Like it was a very, it was a big thing when we were in our mid Mm twenties to go through. Wow. And I was like, this is fascinating. I think I want to be a nurse now. (laughs) Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And so I became a nurse, which was great. And then, and so all of it, all of my symptoms, even when I was flaring, they were still manageable. They were still pretty mild. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then, um, I was, I was looking at this before. Cause I did try at some point they did get a little worse. And I tried like some of the other first ones, like Diclofenac or like mm-hmm. Voltaren was one I tried in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, Plaquenil was one I tried for a little bit, but I had issues with my eyes. And because uh-huh. of that, they wouldn't let me take Plaquenil for more than a very short time. Um, and I did go on methotrexate for a little while, but that mm-hmm. it didn't work really at all for me. Oh, and methot- yeah. I'm trying to remember when I went on it, I went on it for a period just to try, I think we went on, I think I went on methotrexate after my first daughter was born mm-hmm. because I didn't want to go on it before having kids. Cause I was mm-hmm. nervous about that, mm-hmm. but I had my first and then I had, and I had really bad flare ups after each mm-hmm. child was born. Mm-hmm. And it also seemed to just take me up a notch in my disease progression. So oh, yeah. after each kid was born, I ended up on a higher, you know, a, a more serious drug. Mm-hmm. and my symptoms were worse and had to manage it um so like I was on methotrexate for a little bit and then it didn't work went off of that 
Um, I think steroids were always the thing that saved me out of those bad flare-ups, which, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure you know, prednisone is like, I love it and I hate it. I love it for they, three weeks. And then I'm like, get it away from me. <laughs> they call them the um, devil's Tic Tacs. Exactly. And that's, <laughs> I tell people that all the time. I think oh, when I say that and I'm like, yeah. it is the devil's Tic Tac because it's, it's just so, it's so double-edged. It's like, you yeah, get that true relief. definition. Yeah. But it, but then you, it's not worth it. So, um, and I did do like acupuncture and stuff in there. And I was on like a bunch mm-hmm. of herbal things and I had different experiences with that. I had like on one, one acupuncturist was excellent. I tried another one when we moved to Maryland because we used to live in Virginia and it was not that, you know, mm-hmm. so that's another, you know, it's, you, you know, being a clinician, I get it, you know, people yeah. are, have different strength and so you have to figure out what's going to work for you but so yeah so I tried different things I don't even remember what the question was oh no actually it's perfect because the initial diagnosis (laughs) well I think there's initial diagnosis journey and then there's the treatments you know I put this in in my notes I have treatment story slash saga because sometimes the treatments is you know (laughs) that's exactly it yeah (laughs) and it's again I think for me I had this weird like I had this honeymoon period with rheumatoid arthritis. When I went, I had the textbook positive story of mm. I had all, I didn't have any of the classical markers until I did. And then at the point when all my joints started hurting, I had every, every possible, everything was positive. Everything wow. was off the charts. So, and then I went from that to everything, blood work looking good, no inflammation, no subjective symptoms. Whoa. I was, and they told me, this is what we hope. This is what we hope happens. You go on the medicine, it puts you in remission. You just take the medicine and yes, it may have some side effects, but we're going to be optimistic here. <laughs> and so I was like, right. check, check, check. I figured this out, like X this off of my life to-do list. Just take this medicine the rest of my life. Like mm-hmm. go to the doctor every three months, get my liver checked because I'm on methotrexate, go off of the trexate when I have a baby. Like I had my whole life planned out, you know? And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, like mm-hmm. after the initial shock. Sorry. I'm talking about my story now. So let's talk about your story. But, um, point being for me, it was like, okay, we figured it out. And then, but when when the treatment became a saga was when my body created antibodies to Enbrel. And it was like that insert, like cartoon, like screeching halt, like, like what? Mm -hmm. Like, it was like Wiley coyote, like falling off the cliff. Mm -hmm. Like, but wait, like, they always say like insanity is doing the same thing and expecting a different response. Like it can make you feel insane when you do the same thing and you get a different response. You're like, but I took Enbrel, like Enbrel's the solution. Right. I just took it. Like, was there something wrong with it? Like, did I accident, did I not refrigerate it correctly? And they're like, no, no, no. <laughs> like your immune system is like kind of dumb and really smart at the same time. Cause it like made antibodies. To the medicine. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> and so anyway, so then it became more of a saga, but, um, but, but back yeah. to you, but so, so you've tried a lot of different things. Um, I know that yeah. cannabis is something that you've tried as well. I would love mm-hmm. to hear more about that. Cause that's definitely a hot topic. Yeah. Oh, I know it is. Um, so I did not, I mean, I had tried cannabis as a kid. Right. And then <laughs> Kid, I, kid, kid, or like well, sorry. teen. Okay, sorry. Teen, I was like, teen, wait, wait, that's teen, not normal. Late teen. Okay. Oh, no, yeah, sorry. Sorry. Late teenager. Is yeah, what okay. I, okay. <laughs> played around with it a little bit in college. Like, got it. Yeah, yeah. Um, not a, not a kid. Sorry. <laughs> um, and then I'm trying to think. It was actually, I. I'm trying to think when that was. It must have been 2018. 
because mm-hmm. it definitely was 2018. My daughter was, my third daughter was born December of 2017. Okay. And I know with her, I was on Enbrel, which, and I remember, cause I remember getting in touch with the doctor. Like, could I breastfeed with Enbrel? Is this going to be safe? Like I really, she was a preemie baby and mm. there'd been a lot of complications. So I was like, I really want to breastfeed her. This is really important to me, but also I cannot function. Mm-hmm. Um, so can I use this Enbrel? And I'm, I was trying to remember when I really, if this was when I started it, I think this is when I, so I started taking Embrel and I had some relief, but I also, uh, Maryland is a medical, well, I don't say marijuana because it is a, a lot of people consider it a pejorative term. So I do always Mm -hmm. say cannabis, but they call it a medical marijuana program. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's one of those things, but I always trip over it because I know that it's a word that I don't like to say. So, um, yeah. But so I was this, I established myself as a patient and said, I just, I got to try something because I've now got these three kids and I'm, I can't keep up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and at the time I, I actually was not working at that time. Okay. I had taken a little break because the ER had gotten really hard to, to keep up with two kids in the ER. And so I wasn't even on a maternity leave at this point. I was just mm-hmm. not working for okay. a, a, a period. Um, but so, um, started using cannabis, I will tell you, and this is part of the reason that I'm now getting a master's degree in medicinal cannabis and why I'm, I'm happy to talk about it because the pretty much every single state, the way that they've set up the medical programs, and I'm talking about specifically medical programs is there's a lot missing for patients Mm. and it's really frustrating as both a patient and a medical professional that we're toting this as medicine and we're pretending like it's medicine only because it's a workaround for people to get access to it but the Mm -hmm. fact is it truly is a medicine and it was used as a medicine for tens of thousands of years way before we ever turned it into the gateway drug Mm -hmm. it was a medicine way before that so historically internationally all across the world, particularly in Asia, but all across the world, it was used medicinally. It used right. to be in the U.S. pharmacopoeia. Like it was listed as a medication. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it was all there. I <laughs> so know that's what that. Yeah. Most people don't because especially those of us who grew up in the eighties, yeah. it, it was like the number one bad drug that's going to ruin your life and set you on a path to all these other drugs. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it just, it didn't, it wasn't that. And there's a whole, a lot of reasons most of them are politically and racially charged. Mm-hmm. Anyway, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's another soapbox I could get on. But so what's hard about cannabis is it definitely can help with a lot of things that I experienced with RA. And I think a lot of people like it can help with the physical pain. It can also help with the, the anxiety and depression yeah. that, I, that I certainly experienced. And I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, you can also use parts of it that do not impair you so that you don't get the high feeling. You just get physical relief or spiritual relief. Um, and I've been using it regularly now for years and I can tell, I mean, I've never once gone to work impaired, obviously I've Mm -hmm. never once Mm -hmm. even been worried about it. Like you, you can act, you can manage it that way. And it's helped me so much, um, with RA because, Probably because I've been willing to experiment. Now, I don't necessarily think that's the case for everyone, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's what we've set up for people. We have people like I go to the doctor, the doctors can write 
certifications, which means you get to have access, but they do not write a prescription. There's no prescriptions anywhere. It's so confusing. How are you supposed to be able to get it? How do you, you walk it? into a just? Dis- this is the problem. You walk into a dispensary and you talk to somebody who's got a high school diploma and no medical training, and they go, yeah. "Well, this one smells really good, so get that one." That's, and it's terrible. Yeah, yeah. I've experienced it. Yeah, it's it's very frustrating. So, if people are interested in cannabis, I would say there's cannabis. Cannabis nurses are a thing. Okay. There's, I know a whole bunch. So if someone wants to meet, you know, in person with one or something like that, I mean, I could, ha- I could easily connect people. Nice. I don't work as a cannabis nurse right now um, for a number of reasons, but I could certainly connect people to one, but I do talk to a lot of them. And I, I mean, I'm doing a lot of the research in school right now um, to figure out what I need, but there's truly, there's, there's a whole world of science behind this, that, that legal, <clears throat> excuse me, political things get in the way of and it's really unfortunate um but there's also i'll just there's an organization called um americans for safe access or asa um and they are they basically are just about patients they advocate for patients so they are advocating for patients to have access to cannabis and that doesn't just mean a state that makes it legal it means having it written into the law, things like, okay, can patients, can the cannabis be delivered if someone is homebound and they can't get mm, to the dispensary? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It means actually rescheduling cannabis out of a schedule one, which is, which is what it is now because mm-hmm. of the CSA, which was passed in the seventies. Um, they, they made cannabis one of the, it was, it's a schedule one along with heroin and LSD and other things, which means very specific things. It means these three things. It means one, it has no medicinal value. It means a high, it it also, right. It means that it has a high um, danger of abuse. And it, what's the third one now? I'm blanking on it because I'm trying to think of it right now. There's a third point that is, what is it? I'm sorry that I can't remember right now. But basically the point is it, it makes it, it makes it so that you can't, we can't research it. Right. You can't. Oh, so in right. this country, no research can be done on schedule one drugs. Oh. And so the problem, and when I say drugs, I also mean medicine. I'm a, I'm a nurse. So to me, drugs are yeah, it's true. medicine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not yeah. talking about street yeah. drugs. When I, right, okay. right, right, um, right. But so that's what's so frustrating is that we are missing out on all this research that we could be doing. And sure, there's people like me. There's also kids who have disorders like Lennox Gastaut syndrome, which is when they have hundreds of seizures a day and they have no functionality, no quality of life. Those kids take really high doses of CBD. And there is a drug that is approved by the FDA called Epidiolex um, or Epidiolex. It depends on how there's people say a different way, but it's CBD. And kids take it, these kids can take it and their seizures, they don't go away completely but they can function. And I've seen the kids speak. Like I've seen them present at conferences. These are kids who would have died and they're alive and they're functioning now. And it's not, they're not like a hundred percent, but anyway, the point is what's frustrating is we do have FDA approved drugs. We also have, there's, there's seven or eight patients. I think there's only one left, but from the seventies, the, the um, government, the federal government was sending patients cannabis, literally rolled joints. They would get 10 joints a day. They've been doing that since the seventies. They still are. Just those patients though, because they the got seizure, in before. The seizure, yeah, okay. Not even, no, oh, not even seizure. Like 
these are like people who, so there was this guy in the seventies who basically he took it to the Supreme court and said, I'm using cannabis to treat glaucoma and you, I, it's helping me and I need to be able to use it. And he won. And oh, so the government, wow. so like, this is, this is what's mind boggling about all of this. So there's FDA approved Epidiolex. There's FDA approved Marinol, which is another cannabis drug, which is THC, which is the impairing component of the right. cannabis plant. Right. So we have that too. Okay. okay. So the government, it's not about what's in the plant. That's the That's thing. Cause crazy. we have all these FDA approved things and the government does send certain people things. It's just, they don't, they don't, I think the, well, there's a, there's a lot of theories as to why, but the point is cannabis can be really helpful. You just have to find the right people who know about it because yeah. of what has happened in this country with outlawing it. It's made everything confusing wacky. and yeah. not, and wacky. And so if you're someone who's, who doesn't know a lot about it and you get a card, you're basically left on your own. Yeah. And that's really scary. Which is hugely, yeah, hugely problematic because the other thing is a lot of the dispensaries, whether they're medical or not, no matter where they are, they're going for high THC content because that's mm-hmm. the attractive thing. People just want yeah. to get high. Right. Exactly. And I, I'm not going to demonize that. That's its mm-hmm. own thing. Yeah. But for, for people like me, like I do want some THC, but I don't want crazy amounts of THC. Right. You know, there's, right. there's a time and a place in it. If it's, if it's dosed correctly, it's a therapeutic medication. Mm-hmm, um. mm-hmm. And, oh, I was going <laughs> to also mention that I did do an episode with Christina Montoya, who's a registered dietitian, who's also mm. studied cannabis. Um, and, and she kind of gave like a cannabis for pain and, and inflammation, inflammation one-on-one. Mm. Um, so I'm all linked to that episode in, in the show notes yeah. for people who want to, to learn more, but yeah, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because it helps reduce the stigma, especially I think when, you know, licensed health providers kind of speak to it. Um, mm-hmm. it helps people realize, oh yeah, this is, you know, especially with someone's living in pain, you know, why would you want to deny them something that could help? If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through, people who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. 
Each group is expertly moderated, so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. But um, I, I know that there's going to be some people listening. One of the, one of the questions I get a lot is, you know, about mm-hmm. um, pregnancy and having small kids mm-hmm. with arthritis. So that wasn't even going to be the focus of, of our, of our episode, but um, I am curious. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, like, did you have fears like with even just your first pregnancy of how the rheumatoid arthritis was going to go? Um, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure again, that yeah. could be a whole story. on. I, yes. And I, I remember I was like, so with my first pregnancy, I was a little bit concerned because it was like, oh, I have this condition. I have this thing now. But back then, I mean, I knew what it was, but it was still kind of dormant. Like I would have these Mm. dormant periods. And so, and my first pregnancy, I was one of those people actually with each of my pregnancies where I had no symptoms during pregnancy. Me neither. Yeah. I only had one pregnancy. Yeah. 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 So, so part of it was, I mean, by the time I got to the third one, I was like, I should, I should stay pregnant all the time because this is when I feel the best in terms of RA. I just, I didn't really work. My first and second pregnancies, I was really lucky. I had really easy, relatively easy. I mean, I had some things, but you know, like sciatica pain, not, Mm -hmm. you know, nothing. I was working through both of those. I worked 12 hour overnight shifts in the ER through both of them. Um, I worked up until the day I delivered. I was, I, that's oh, like, my. I was really... nurses are a different like <laughs> level. Like you're, I'm sorry, but just like you're a badass. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, but I, but I also felt great. You know I love mean? you like, even if you're not. Hard to do that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I'm like, that's the thing. I'm like I, now, I mean, now I'll tell you, like, I actually, my last night shift in the ER was in September because I'm not doing that anymore because of because mm-hmm. I can't yeah, for various yeah, reasons. But yeah. so, so thank you for, <laughs> that's been, you know, then. Um, but I did with my third kid, there were some complications and I do in my head kind of associate them with RA. Like my body was like, we're doing this again. We're like, really, you really are. You're going to make me do this again. Yeah. And she's, she's fine, but she's had some, some health issues. Like, I mean, her umbilical cord was it only had two vessels instead of three, some, you know, which oh, yeah. that doesn't necessarily connect to RA, but in my head, it's like, well, mm-hmm. your, your body's imperfect and it attacks itself. So I, I thought of that when I was it, pregnant, you know, everything. I, yeah. I had a textbook pregnancy except for, um, gestational diabetes, which was like super mild and well-controlled, but, um, I had sorry. that with my third one too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was uh, like, yeah. really? <laughs> and what was hilarious is that I'm going to this certified nurse midwives at the hospital. Cause I felt like, Oh, I can have this like 
because it wasn't, it's your pregnancy, depending on your, you go to your doctor and, and see that my doctor said in my current disease state at the time, I was not considered high risk just because of rheumatoid arthritis because it was well controlled mm-hmm. and I could continue taking my meds during pregnancy, except for obviously getting off methotrexate state before getting pregnant. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but so it's not inherently high risk, but I remember I had asked the, I was so, so gestational diabetes is, is more like type one than type two. It's not caused by like what you eat, but, um, mm-hmm. it's that, at least that's what they explained to me. Tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> As a yeah, nurse. no, that's right. But I thought <laughs> yeah. it was my fault, but I had just, the, the funny thing was I had just asked the nurse midwife the week before I said, you know, like, uh, I feel like I'm like really craving sugar. And she's, I was like, you know, she's like, Oh, you're fine. Like, as long, and like, she said something like just as long as you just like limit your sweets to like, like once a week or something. I was like, once a week, once a, week? <laughs> once a day would be limiting yes. it. And then of course, like a week yeah. later, it gets diagnosed with gestational diabetes, <laughs> even though I know it's not actually that time I didn't know it wasn't caused by me. I thought it was my fault, oh. you know? And I was like, curse oh. you. I should have listened to you right, <laughs> like, right. and only had one dessert a week. I was like, <laughs> How like this. Um, anyway, but back, back to your story. Sorry. But so you had more complications, your third pregnancy. Yeah. And it's funny you said that. Cause I, I crave sweets with each of my pregnancies. So like sweets with all of them. And I was yeah. my first year I was fine, but yeah, that third one. And I was like borderline. I had, I remember I had to do the one hour glucose test two times. And then I had to do the three hour glucose test two times, two times, because they were both like, it just kept being borderline. And, it, and I was like, okay, I you're a just, nurse. Can they just can let just you monitor it? your glucose on your own? I, like, yeah, it was like, oh my God. And by the time I got diagnosed, it was funny because so I finally get diagnosed. So now I'm having to like manage it. Okay, fine. Well, then, and then she was born early. So I only had, um, that's what I mean. Like I lucked out with a lot of it in that I only had to deal with it for a few weeks and it was okay. Yeah, um, yeah. but well, yeah, um, so So you, yeah, I was just, I know a lot of people worry about like, am I going to be able to cope with pregnancy with my condition or cope with parenting? And I think what's hard is that you don't, there's an uncertainty to it by like 70% of people roughly go into remission during pregnancy that you could be in the 30%, right. Or the 70%. But I I was similar to you in that I was like, you know, because I've only had one pregnancy, but you know, uh, optimistic and like, okay, I can handle this. And then, then I had some other health issues, which made it so that we decided not to have, you know, try to have another child. Um, but it wasn't the RA alone. It was the other stuff kind of all piled on top of each Mm other. Um, but, but, um, so I forget where I was going with that. (laughs) We are. Yeah, we are. And I, I do think it's interesting because like I said, like I felt better in pregnancy. So I was like eager to get pregnant again, you know, yeah, like it, yeah. it always felt like this is a relief for me, but after each pregnancy, okay, so that's, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. I, yeah. Because... So I was going to say after each pregnancy that, and I mean, part of me doesn't want to like stare people. No, it wasn't your story. It wasn't yeah. terrible, but it, I mean, I distinctly, so with my first kid, um, I did have a bigger flare, but like, I honestly don't even fully remember a whole lot of it like it's a blur yeah Yeah, exactly Mm -hmm. but I remember with my second daughter um wanting to breastfeed her like in the middle of the night and I couldn't pick her up like I couldn't Mm, I I couldn't I just remember trying to like scoop her with my forearms because my hand I couldn't same thing like this motion and it like that comes right back to me where that felt I mean of course it's physically painful you're trying to feed this crying baby in the middle of the night the, the feeling of failure of like, I'm not physically able to do it. How is that possible? Like, mm-hmm. and to your point, 
I'm a night shift ER nurse. Like I was a division one athlete. I'm, yeah. I'm a badass. Am mm-hmm. I? Cause I can't even pick up my newborn. But the so thing is that, that doesn't yeah. feel good. <laughs> no, but that, you know, like it's, I think yeah. so. It's, I th- Oh, no, it's super emotional. Especially if you're a first time mom, like I remember being like, do I have postpartum depression or not? Cause they're like, yeah, those are the hormones that are. And I'm like, well, they're like the question they asked is like, do you, are you having trouble like finding pleasure in formally pleasurable things? I'd be like, my life now looks nothing like it looked before. Like nothing I'm doing. I can compare it to a previous activity. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. a baby before, so I don't know whether to compare. Mm-hmm. I've relatively lost pleasure. Like, did I find pleasure in changing a diaper and waking up in the middle <laughs> of the night? Like, right. I don't know. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Oh yeah. man. Well, that was where it was hard knowing what was, okay. Is this RA? Is this, you know, is it postpartum? Like, yeah. and I, even with, after my third one was born where, like I said, like I had a really bad, fl- it was a worsened flare up after her. I remember actually calling my um, doctor's office, my OB and saying, um, I'm, I, you know, I asked for some mental health resources because mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing great, you know, and their response. And I get this because again, being a nurse, I get it. But they basically were like, are you, are you currently suicidal? Or are you like, are you planning on, are you going to hurt your children? Are you worried about oh. hurting any of the kids? Like, are you going to hurt yourself or your kids, basically? And I was like, no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not at that point. I'm just like, I, I need some help. And they yeah. were, they were like, here's a list of resources. Like, and I remember call, I called a couple of places and like two of them didn't take my insurance. One of them was full and didn't have it. Like, it was just like, and none of them could help me. And oh, it was like, no. yeah, it was really negative, negative experience. And I'm so sorry. I just remember being like, well, I mean, but it, I also kind of stopped there and didn't pursue it any further because I was discouraged. But I also was like, well, I'm not going to go to the ER. I know exactly what they're going to do there. It's This isn't that situation. No. I don't, yeah. I just have to like buckle down, like just get through it. Um, well, I mean, that's what outpatient therapy is supposed to be for <laughs> is there's an intermediary right. between ER, right. like a psychiatric hold and right. grinning right. and bearing exactly. on your own. <laughs> Right. Right. Uh, so that was, that was hard, but, um, uh, you know, it's okay. I got so I lucky got therapy. So. Yeah, no big time on therapy. And one of my friends from swing dancing was pregnant at the same time. She gave birth like two weeks after, and mm. she had gone to a therapist and she just recommended her therapist to me. And I was like, Oh, good enough awesome. for Rebecca. Good enough for me. Like, <laughs> right, right. Okay. You know, I think I, I called a couple of them and I, and I, cause I knew it's really common. Just if you're looking for therapy for the first time, it's really common to have to like do in, initial appointments at a couple of them just to kind of see, you know, who vibes mm-hmm. well with you. Um, cause it is a relationship mm-hmm. it's a therapeutic relationship with you, between you and the mm-hmm. therapist. But, um, but yeah, yeah, it can be, I just think that the decision, family planning decisions, are really loaded when you have a chronic illness. Um, or there's, yeah. I know some people listening might've gotten diagnosed postpartum. And then you're like, well, I made this, I had this life plan for myself, how I was mm-hmm. going to be a parent. Cause at least we knew we had RA before me. It's like, we could make an informed decision, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. But other people, I do feel it's like that you feel trapped. You're like, well, wait a minute. Like I can't deal with this. Like I can't deal with learning this whole disease for myself and learning how to be a parent. Like it's, yeah huge learning curves all at once. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I can't, I, I, so yes, we had RA, but I will say this. I 
it felt like a different disease after each mm-hmm. kid. Like that mm-hmm. felt like a big turning point for me because it, it did. It was like, whoa, this is worse than it was before. Like, mm-hmm. It's like stage and- one. It's like they should be stages like there is for cancer, <laughs> yeah. you know, because no, it's true. It's mm-hmm. exactly like me. When I was in Medicaid remission, I was like swing dancing, playing indoor soccer, right. outdoor soccer. Like, I would um, actually go play. I would go to work for eight hours and then I would play outdoor soccer. And then I would like disgustingly not take a shower. I would go just take my soccer clothes off, swing, change, change my swing dance clothes and dance for like four hours. Like, oh my God. And then I would go to bed. Like that was like my life, you know? And so, yeah, even wow. though the diagnosis was the same then and now, now the disease has progressed, it is a progressive disease. So it changes. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so that was actually going to be one of the, one of our themes of today's discussion is like how to cope with the harder seasons of, of your yeah. disease. And, and yeah, what, what are things looking like for you right now? Yeah. So this is actually a good point. So, and I kind of, I think I told you this on one of our room to thrive, like one of the last ones I was on, but they, so I restarted Enbrel. So I was on Enbrel right. in like 2018. I don't remember. I was on it for a couple of years, like three years mm-hmm. and 2018 was in the mix there. And then I went off of it in the very beginning of the pandemic because I started to have a flare, Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. which honestly, I think I had COVID in February before we actually Uh, knew Yeah, because I tested negative for the flu, but like in hindsight, I'm like, I had respiratory issues. I had like, I had COVID in in February. Right. And I'm right. So it was like, yeah. And I, and I, you know, I work in Northern Virginia, so we get international, like, you know, we get people from all over the world Mm -hmm. because it's, it's local to all of the mm-hmm. world. Like people fly into DC mm-hmm. for things, right? And so then they end up in our right. So anyway, um, so yeah, so I, um, wait, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, you had just restarted Enbrel. Oh yes. Okay. So I re. So I was on Enbrel. It was great. Like you said, I was doing. I was weightlifting. I had a personal trainer. I was doing. I felt amazing, and mm-hmm. then started to flare, and it, and I kind of thought, oh, this might just be like you know, whatever, like you make excuses for it. But I mentioned to my rheumatologist and she was kind of like, well, oh no, you know what? That was when I switched rheumatologist because, okay. (laughs) so I had gotten really bad shoulder pain in one side. And basically Mm. the rheumatologist was like, well, that's not RA. It wouldn't be in one side. You have to go see someone else. And I had been complaining about it for a couple months at this point. Mm. (laughs) And then I, so then I switched to a different rheumatologist, which I had been with that one for at least seven years. So like, I don't want it to seem like I was jumping all over the place. Like I'd been with this one for a while. She'd seen me through all my pregnancies. She had seen me as this progressed and all of this. And it got to a point where I felt like she wasn't quite addressing that need. And Mm -hmm, anyway, mm -hmm. so I, so I did go to a different rheumatologist that doctor ended up draining my shoulder I had bursitis and she drained my shoulder on the spot and gave me a cortisone shot which to this day I have never had pain like that again in my shoulder <laughs> and that was in 2018 or 2019, oh, wow. 2019. so yeah so that was really positive but she took me off the end bro. and in hindsight I there's a part of me that wonders if that was the right choice it doesn't really matter now mm. Um, but she felt like, well, it's not working. You're flaring. Plus this is an additional thing on top of the inflammation Mm -hmm. you already have. So she took care of that. We ended up putting me on Rinvoke. I think that's what I went on first. 
And then I'm saying, yeah, revoked- as if I know, like, <laughs> so yes, I remember that. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and revoke, I was excited because it was a pill instead of an injection. And I just want to say like, I'm a nurse and I, and I, but it, nobody likes getting shots. So no. I was no. really excited to be like, oh, I don't have to do a shot every week. Like I've been doing for mm-hmm. the last few years. Mm-hmm. So revoke was exciting, but it didn't, um, it sort of helped, but it wasn't great. And there were issues like palpitations and things like that, that just mm. weren't ideal. So then we tried Humira. Humira was not good for my body. I know oh. it's worked for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. But everyone's body's really different. Hopeful. Exactly. Yeah. And this, so this is sort of my plug for like, it is a journey. Like don't, you know, and mm-hmm. you can have the disease forever and it changes your body changes. So then the medicines work different. Like it's so, it's so hard. It's just such an ongoing thing. But so we tried Humira for a while. Um, that was not good for a lot of reasons. <laughs> and then, so now I'm back on Enbrel and it does seem, I think it is working. Now I just got a, my flu shot on October 1st. Oh, okay. And <laughs> I don't know if that's sort of playing into it. It's always a, a question of like, mm-hmm. is this the thing? I don't know. I've got, I get flu shots every year. So, right, right, right. You know, I'm not saying it's that, but right now I am having a little bit more disease activity, we'll say, than I have had in the past on Enbrel. So that's where I'm like, oh, I wonder if this is just like, this is where we are now. <laughs> this yeah. is how Enbro works. And so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's an ongoing discussion. And I think that's one of the things that I, I feel like I wish, I mean, I didn't know anybody when I was diagnosed, like I was just in my own world, you know, but I feel like that's such an important thing for people who are newly diagnosed. And for, for all of us who are still dealing with it, you know, nearly 20 years later to remember is that it's just, it's not just like, like you were saying, like, it's not like, okay, diagnosis, here's the treatment and now you're good. It's like, mm-hmm. it's autoimmune. So as long as you have this body, we're going to be like reevaluating, reassessing, like refiguring out what works and what doesn't and um, that kind of thing, you know? So mm-hmm. for me, I think it's really important to have something that's managing or treating the progression of the disease, which is why I still take a biologic, you know, I still want to have those kinds of medicines, hopefully to be doing their job in my body. That's why I also use the cannabis because sometimes there's not, you know, the symptom relief that you need from the biologics. And so the two need to work together. So for me, that's what works the best, but, um, sorry, this is the point I was trying to make, but, um, the ER has been, has been my home for the longest time. But now I'm in a phase of life where I'm in grad school. I've got three kids who are getting older. And while on one hand, it's like they need less from me. They don't need their diapers changed and that kind of thing. But they're doing sports or they're doing Girl Scouts or they're doing whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to be around for that. Um, And and so I'm balancing a couple of different I call them gigs because that's what they feel like they're nursing jobs, (laughs) but like they're, they're gigs that I, that I kind of fit into my life however I can. And then I've, you know, I've got school and got stuff going on. But so um, the main thing though, that's different is that my daily management of my symptoms Mm -hmm. has takes a lot more time now. And Mm -hmm. so working a 12 hour shift is so much harder because I need to have time to come home and stretch for at least an hour after mm. I stretch 
every single night. I used to call it yoga. Now it's become, it's not even yoga because I, I, well, I, sh- I wish I did more yoga, but I, I sometimes can't escape for the mental break right, to actually be right. doing yoga where I'm mentally right, there. Right, right, right. I can sit and stretch while I'm helping with math homework or something. Like right, that. right, <laughs> right, right. And that's, that's, I, it's essential. I mean, I, I cannot, it, I just have to do that. And so there's right, things like that, that right. have, that have come up now. And that's just part of what I have to do. So, um, yeah. So I forget again. So it's like, no, 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 no. It's good. Cause we're yeah. talking about coping with when you're yeah. flaring and when you're in these kind of, Oh yeah. I would call them gray areas between fully well-controlled disease, like remission, medicated or unmedicated, and then full, horrible, debilitating flare up. Like a lot mm-hmm. of our lives we're living somewhere in between and those two. I mean, yes. ideally you get to remission, say they're forever. And some people do, but a lot yeah. of people, you know, this is a disease characterized by like flare-ups and remissions, kind of like, you know, some, yeah. sort of, some types of like multiple sclerosis. So, but I think that that's what yeah. makes it so hard. We are telling people all the time, or I'm telling people all the time, you know, get, get used to uncertainty and you have to accept it. It's like, how do you plan your life? Like exactly when like it's, some well, days you can work as a 12 hour shift nurse and then go play water polo and other days you can't like, right. Yeah. 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 And I, you know, I think for me, like probably maybe it's stubbornness, maybe it's <laughs> not wanting to let go of the functionality I had in the past. I don't know, but I feel like I sort of get to the point where I, I get almost to the point of like, I'm going to collapse. Like, mm-hmm. and I, and that, like, I start to, I just sort of go, okay, I'm doing too much. So, yeah. and that was yeah. kind of what was happening like during the summer this year. It was sort of like, okay, I'm okay, but I'm balancing a lot. And I, you know, I've added in school. So like there's new things going on. So can I really continue to do this to myself where I'm the 12 hour shift? Yes. In the ER? yes. And if anyone's wondering, yes, I tried to go to days <laughs> that was not allowed. That's just a separate thing over here. <laughs> um, oh, but that's part okay. of it. If you have a working environment that is not um, supportive or sympathetic or compassionate, um, which for various reasons, you know, I mean, on some level they, they can't really accommodate, you know, um, but it got to the point where like, I started having to wear braces, like, or my gloves, Mm -hmm, things like mm -hmm. that. Like I couldn't, I couldn't get through a shift with that. Well, I can't wear gloves on my hands. I mean, I wear (laughs) rubber gloves, but I can't wear my brightest gloves at work. So if my hands are really bad that day, it's like, well, now I know I'm going into a shift with like just yeah. pain pulsing through my hands, you know, it, it just, it was like, this isn't, maybe this isn't the right thing for me anymore. And that's okay. That was a hard thing for me to accept, but, um, it, it, it also wasn't a rush dis- decision. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important for people to go, is this a gray area? Like, is this a flare up where I need to manage it for right now, but then it's going to get better. Or is this, you know, are there other I mean, I had a lot of reasons to leave the ER. So mm, for me, it was mm-hmm. like, there's this, my health is a huge one, but there's all these other things too. And it's like, if you combine all those things, could my quality of life be a lot better if I gave up this, this job that I did identify as, you know, part of my, it was part of my identity for so long, but can I get over that and kind of make it look different? You know what? Yeah, I can. And it's time to do that. It's time to put well, some other things first. Yeah. I mean, I guess I would just imagine, and this maybe just be 
a um, misnomer, but that it would just be a very stressful career working in the ER. I mean, call me, call me overly anxious, but I would find that a difficult environment to be in, like regardless I mean, of chronic illness. Yeah. But, yeah. I, mean, I always think of that quote, like life is full of suffering, but it's also full of the overcoming of it. So I guess you, you might have totally. some job of satisfaction in seeing like, oh, you're able to catch well, a heart attack early and the person survives and makes a full recovery. Right. But I mean, right. I don't know. How did you manage <laughs> stress working in the ER? You know, I think for me, it was always, it was always the greatest honor. And I always, honor was always the word that came to me. It was always the greatest honor to know that I could be that person who on someone's worst day of their life, not everybody's having the worst day of their life in the ER, (laughs) of course, like we get a lot of stuff that's not emergencies, but when people are having true emergencies and they're terrified, I can come in there and go, okay. Let me explain to you what's happening. Let me explain to you what we're going to do. This is how we're going to try to help you. If that doesn't work, let me know. Like I can take control of that situation and I know exactly what to do. I mean, for the most part, you know? And so for me, it was always actually really empowering to be like, oh yeah, I'm the person who's going to help you feel better. Like there's just no greater honor. And even if it's, I mean, you know, like when we did have people die and the family members are standing there, Like there's no, there's just nothing. There's nothing that feels like that when you know, they're having the the worst moment of their life. And, but they will say to you, like, thank you so much. Or, you know, like Mm -hmm. you're sitting there holding them while they're crying and, and, and they're like, thank you for doing this. Or like, you do the littlest thing. Like, let me get you a cup of water. And And they're like, you're so, and like, they remember that. I mean, I've had people like send flowers to the ER and stuff because, you know, yeah. I mean, I've also had people, you know, I've been there, I've delivered babies. Like they're like, Oh my God, thank you so much. You know, like it's that human interaction that yeah, yeah. is just so rewarding. Um, so, I mean, I think, and it, it suited my personality. Like I was always kind of, a, I'm always, I've been loud and kind mm-hmm. of boisterous and <laughs> I want to move fast and I like the action and all of that, you know? So like, I remember when I, when I went to the ER, it was my first job out of nursing school. And I was like, these are my people. Like, this is where ah. I belong. All the gross stuff that everyone that thinks is so disgusting. I love all that stuff. See, this is you where know? we're different. So- yeah. I almost fainted <laughs> right. the first time. I, oh, I have fainted actually. Um, in, really? um, I fainted visiting a friend. I used to work in HR at a hospital before I became an occupational therapist. And she had a, um, she's sadly passed away, but she was a swing dancing friend who had a, a lot of heart issues and she'd had a heart mm-hmm. transplant. And I was like, Oh, I work at the hospital. I'll come visit her. And so mm-hmm. I'm like, la di da, like not thinking I was going to be, you know, cause I'm like, this is fine. Like she's just, she's in the cardiac ICU, but like, she's awake and alert. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't know those terms and everything, but, um, they go right. in there and I'm just, I just see all these wires connected to her and the scar. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't, I don't know what I was thinking I was going to see. And obviously, you know, and I didn't, I want, I held it together while I was there with her, with her but then I took one step out in the hallway and just collapsed. Yeah. And my oh. vision, I had never fainted before, but anyway, but um, yeah, so then I, then they took me to the ER of the ER? hospital, just walked me down <laughs> over there. Oh, and, man. Like, oh, I always said I've only been to the ER once, but I technically twice, I guess. Oh no, they had an urgent care, like attached to the ER. So they did like, mm. they looked at my blood sugars and stuff. They're like, you just fainted. You're fine. Um, yeah. but anyway, sorry, sorry. But yeah, so I, I love that there are people like that. My sister works in the neonatal ICU and she's like seen a lot of stuff. That's, and 
it's yeah that's yeah, a special she, every time she sees think. like a full-time baby she's like it's huge yeah, <laughs> baby exactly. is a giant and you're like my child is seven pounds she's like it's right. so big <laughs> right, but um, but anyway, um, but I'm glad there are people because I need I need that when I'm in a state of you know I I need someone that has a calm head and a, and a yeah. warm and competent you know presence. But I just yeah I'm just you know I I um you know have struggled with stress management in in working as an occupational therapist and I'm like we don't mm-hmm. we don't actually do any of the life or death you know we're about quality of life right but yeah um I I apparently to to my brain sometimes quality of life is a life or death issue <laughs> <laughs> well but you know I always tell people this too I'm like people are like oh you know I don't write. but the thing is things get real clear when it's life or death like it gets actually, really easy to prioritize when it's life or you death. know what you know so I know the what you're thing. saying yeah. You know, like, cause when the ER is like, when it's crazy and we've got a line out the door and, you know, people have got abdominal pain and someone, you know, sprained their ankle and, you know, there's all these things you're like, like that is kind of stressful. Cause you're like, Oh my God, we're trying to go as fast as we can. We're trying to do all these things. But then someone rolls through the door having chest pain, turns out they're having a heart attack. Guess what? Everything else stops. We mm-hmm. don't deal with any, like, I mean, depends on how many people you have in the ER, right? (laughs) Like how many resources you have, not everything stops. But if you're the person taking care and like, I would often be the charge nurse. So like, if I'm, if I'm in charge of the whole ER, I, I all of a sudden am not worried about any of those people. I'm worried about Mm -hmm. this one right here. They're the one that's going to, going to go. So, and in that case, we know exactly what to do. You know, like there's very specific steps that we do down to the T and everybody knows what to do. So everybody's automatically like, okay, we're pouring resources into this person. We're going to save their life. You can wait with your sprained ankle. I'm sure you don't want to, but you're going to have to, mm-hmm. and you just move on. So sometimes like that forced clarity is actually really nice. Cause it's like, Nope, <laughs> this is more important. It's just that easy. It's not me making a judgment call. It's this person it's the is going to die if I don't. Yeah. It's just what it is. So it, I mean, it, you know, <laughs> it does make it easier sometimes when you're in it. No, it's so true. We once, um, my, Charlie, um, we took him in for like a uh, issue where he didn't need to see his regular pediatrician. It was like an ear infection or something where like, you know, just take the first available pediatrician. And mm-hmm. um, the one that was there, he would told us he was, uh, he used to be in the ER and now he works as a regular pediatrician or, you know, reg- mm-hmm. general practice, primary care. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, oh, this is way harder than in the ER. And it, he wasn't, yeah. he didn't say it that way, but he said it like, I said something like, oh, wow, ER, that's, you know, it's, oh, that's, this is because he's like every, there's so many cases like where kids come in and it's like 90% of the time, it's not a big deal. But what about if it's that 10%? You know, like I had mm-hmm. one of my very closest friends, her child had um, sh- really bad RSV at six weeks postpartum. Oh. And she took oh. them in like, like three in the afternoon. They're like, oh, it's kind of, let's monitor, come back tomorrow if it's worse. And then by like 8 PM, they went to the urgent care and they're like, you are going straight to Seattle children's. The baby was intubated, yeah. like tons, oh. like it was near death, you know? And, yeah. and it happened so fast. Um, well, yeah. Respiratory yeah. issues with kids are scary they they tank really quickly yeah so, so scary oh, anyway so i'm like but, that's, but yeah that's exactly it you're like because it's you're like you have to like make a judgment call someone mm-hmm. comes in with a heart attack you don't have to make a judgment call like you're like this it, is a heart know? attack yeah <laughs> yeah that's interesting but i think that's such an interesting <laughs> juxtaposition though for you of being like like rheumatoid arthritis is like the definition of a chronic 
condition that is not immediately (laughs) life-threatening, but it is, um, you know, it does slowly take years off your life, if not controlled, you know, it's about averaging before the current era of medications, the average life expectancy for someone with rheumatoid arthritis is seven years less than average person. So yeah, yeah. sorry, not to, not to, to bum anyone out, but that's, that is, that's why like your mom was like aware, you know, like aware of, and that's what they had to explain to my parents too. Cause they're like, Oh, arthritis. Okay. Like it's at least it's, it's not lupus. It's not cancer. It's not, you know, these things that multiple sclerosis people seem to understand. Like it's, it's a big deal, you know? Um, like, but you know, there's all these little things every day where you're having to over time that they add up and always in on Mm -hmm. uh, gray areas. And I think that there's this kind of, I don't know if you relate to this at all, but this kind of, I think you, you, you touched on it earlier, this kind of question in the back of your head constantly, like what, like, is this as good as it gets for me now, this Mm -hmm. long into the disease, Mm -hmm. you know, like, Oh my God. Right. Like, how do you know what's (laughs) Like I had to actually bring that up to my doctor the other day, or I brought it up to her. Cause I was like, I don't like, you know, this whole idea of treat to target, you're supposed to identify the target, you know, the doctor and the patient identify the target, which is in the beginning, it's really obvious that you're trying to target full disease control, you know, with persons diagnosed the right. first couple of years, get the fire under control, get them into remission, however you can. But I'm like, mm-hmm. how does that work when I've had it for 20 years now? Like, Right. Do we still target that? Like, what do we mm-hmm. target? And she's like, and it's kind of reminds me of that Marcel. Like, the shell, you know? And it's like, yeah. and it's like, people say, like, remember the Marcel the shell? It's like a shell with shoes on. And she's like, people think I'm oh. weird, but I say, compared to what? Like, she's a little <laughs> shell with shoes on. Like, she's again, compared to Like, anyways, like, she said, that's a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> and like right. yes like we are no like as you can probably tell from our past decisions like we are no longer targeting like compl- or we're no longer thinking like it's realistic for you necessarily to to go into like full full remission again or like that's not what we were we can hope for that but let's plan for mm-hmm. well controlled disease to where like i told her what i want is i just i want to be not distractingly aware of my condition i might be do you know what i mean that is so I've never heard anyone say it like that. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Like that's I think exactly the, what it is. One is like, you know, from being an athlete, it's like, I want, like, I, I want, I don't mind having that like muscle burn after I maybe overdid it. But what I don't want is it to be so bad that it's constantly distracting me from living my life. Like I can, you know, it's amount mm-hmm. of pain that I can, you know, quote unquote tolerate. Um, but yeah, just, so that, that resonates with you too. Completely. Yeah. And in fact, like I was, I was talking to someone the other day because I was I was talking about how cannabis has helped. And one of the things that I was saying was like, if nothing else, it it can get me to a point where for a period of time, I don't have I don't feel pain anywhere Mm. because pretty much at this. And this isn't all the time. But right now, this is what I was saying to you later before. Right now, I'm in kind of a hard season where. Mm I am in, I am in a, a mild amount of pain. It's not, you know, on the number scale, I probably call it, I probably call it a three or a four. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's noticeable. That's why when you were like, that's a lot for like, every it's day. Noticeable, yeah. Right, for every day, all the time where I only get a break for a little bit at night before when I'm medicating and I'm yeah. done with my responsibilities for the day. 
got my kids to bed, I'm able to do my hour of stretching and medicate, that's when my body feels better. And then I can mm-hmm. fall asleep because I feel better for right. a little bit. And then hopefully I stay asleep and then wake up. And when you wake up, get, I mean, I'm sure you can appreciate this. You wake up and you're like, here's another day. Oh, creaky oh, joints. Uh, yeah. Great. <laughs> right. And I, and I mean, I lay in bed every morning and just start moving with this first. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lay there for, I don't know however long it takes, but that's, you know, so yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. I think, and, and that's where it's like, sometimes I ask the question, am I ever going to be, is pain-free a realistic thing mm-hmm. for me to hope for? I'm not really sure if it is or not. I, if, if, if it's not, that feels like so much. And I know we're going over time. Sorry. Oh, so, no, no, um, we are. We are fine. We're uh, fine. We're, okay. Um, but I, it's also one of those things where I, for right now, try not to think too much about it mm-hmm. because I can't do anything about the, I'm, I'm doing what I can do right. by managing yeah. it on a daily basis. And, and I, and that feels like a heavier lift for me that I do have to manage it this much, this regularly every day, mm-hmm. but that's where we are. And ultimately I have like, I have to be able to function for my kids, for my life, for everything. So if that's what is required for today, then that's what is required for today. And I'm going to do my best to, to meet those demands. So I try yeah. to just do it one day at a time, but no, what did, you said distractingly. I want aware? to not be distractingly aware distractingly of my aware. RA. Like I can be aware exactly of it. Like I it have, is. You know, mild pain. I have such a hard time rating it on a scale of one to 10. You know, I I like to break it down into the subcategories. Like it's like a five on stiffness, but like zero on sharp stabbing pain, but like maybe a three on like soreness or hot tenderness, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, I think that's where mindfulness. Different qualities. Yeah. Yes. The quality of pain is different. And so, yeah. And some of it is interferes with your quality of life more, more than Mm -hmm. others. But I think for me, yeah, the mindfulness standpoint of like what's going on in the present, because the future is so unknowable. You know, there, there were only Mm -hmm. three medications in in the category of biologics when I was diagnosed. Now there's Mm. nine, you know, so maybe it is, maybe both of us will be talking in three years. So now be like, oh, I'm so glad that the new medication Zorbandol, whatever they call it, (laughs) you know, uh, yeah, came out and now we're in remission again. And that's awesome. You know, it's like, or we could be horrible and it's just, you just don't know. So you just have to say, this is what I know is the present, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Exactly. uh, Okay. So do you have, do you have 15 more minutes? (laughs) Oh yeah. Okay. I have plenty of time. I just talked back. Oh, good. Like, um, no, we can I just, talk forever. <laughs> I know. I know. We're chatty Cathy's. No, it's so good. It's so good. Um, and I, I wanted to just touch a little bit, um, and not to like toot my own horn, but I did want to know what you thought of the room to thrive group, which again, it can be challenging with the schedule you were working to, to make, you know, the meetings that we yes. try to make them at times that work for people. But, but what were some of the things that, um, helped you? At, I mean, despite all the stuff, all the knowledge base that you obviously had going into it. Well, but you know what? So number one was the community because I never had community before. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so just you know, hearing other people talk and having that validation of it's not in my head. Like they're feeling the same things that I feel. They have trouble with the same activities that I have trouble with. Like mm-hmm. I, cause I always, and I don't know if a lot of people do this or, but I always default to 
I'm making this worse than it is. I'm totally it up in my head. I'm right. Cause I'm doing it wrong. Cause I'm right. Exactly. And so hearing other people be like, Oh no, like I, you know, there were a lot of times where I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. It's not just me. Like other people get this too. And so there's a lot of third-party validation that was awesome. Um, and everyone was so helpful offering up, you know, different, whether it's like tips or tricks or products or, you know, resources to read or listen to like all of that kind of stuff. And you can kind of pick and choose, which is really nice. I mean, I just never, I never really had any of that. And it, I never, even, you know, my rheumatologists weren't offering up things like really like that. So unfortunately it's, um, I really want it to be the standard of care at some point, you know, like if you went through like, because with, when people get diagnosed with diabetes, they have certified diabetes educators and they walk educators, through. Exactly. And it's not necessarily a group setting, but at least it's someone guiding you through the day-to-day realities. And then, and then yep. with like an optional, oh, you can add, you know, if you want the group support in the community, you know, um, like mm-hmm. that would be ideal. I just like, I'm like too impatient. Like I can't wait for the health system to change. I'm going to make this myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. But that's what's like, and I think, you know, some of it for me also, particularly with you is like your story resonates with me in so yeah. many ways that it, mm-hmm. it was like, uh, oh my gosh, you really get this. Like, mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. so that like having the, the leader be you and, oh, and thank you. <laughs> being so well, and, but like, truly like you're, you're great at accommodating everyone. You're great at thank you. um, laying everything out, explaining everything, everything being accessible. There were several times, I think I told you this, I don't know. I think I did, but um, like I would, I missed a couple and I could go onto the website and like go through the mm-hmm. PowerPoint and watch the recording. So it felt, and it was, it would be funny. Cause I'd be like talking to the recording as if like, Oh, I want to, I want you know, commiserate or whatever, you know, um, yeah, like, me that, too. Like, sorry. Yeah. Teddy, you know, but like, that's okay. Hi, Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, just being able to feel like if I was having a rough day or a rough time and, I could, I could go to that resource and be like, right. It's just right now. I'm just having a hard moment and that's okay. And look at all these people who have these moments too, and they get it. So mm-hmm. I can share that with them, even though they don't know I'm sharing it with them, because it's so <laughs> but I'm sharing it with them. It, it really, it really helps a lot. So, I mean, there were, there were so many things that were, that were so helpful with it. And I think also really empowered me to be like, mm-hmm. Oh, um, also I, I want to, you know, ask my doctor about this thing, or mm. I, I, it seems like I could be handling this part better. So mm-hmm. I've got some ideas here, but you know, I'm seeing what other people are doing and that's making me be like, Oh, I need to prioritize this part. Cause I've been putting up with it for so long instead of actually trying to fix it. Let me see yeah. if I can do something about that, you know? So yeah, that's I mean, awesome. there were tons of aspects of that I love about room to thrive. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. No. And I'm, it really yeah. is. Um, it is like, like you said, it, it feels like an honor, you know, when you work in the ER, it definitely feels like an honor for me to, to yeah. be in, in the position I am with running, you know, running the groups and, um, and, you know, I mean, it's like cliche thing teachers that would say that I'm supposed to be the teacher, but I learned more than anyone else learned or whatever. Like, but <laughs> I do always learn a lot. And it's like, it is therapeutic for me to hear it's the same thing you said that, that, I do tend to be really hard on myself. And even I'll have these like meta thoughts, like you're the one being the group, you should have it all figured out. And I actually talked mm. to my, to my therapist about that with respect to a different job I had had 
as an occupational therapist. And I was like, I, I hate saying, I don't know if a, if a parent asks me a question or if I just don't, I hate the feeling of not knowing or because there's so many gray areas. Like I was working in developmental disabilities, like autism and stuff oh, like that. Wow. a lot of gray areas. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, he was like, well, okay. Like you need to then your work, your home, like, or well, okay, I had two different therapists, a, a male and a female. So it's, um, I'm like people, but I'm always like, okay, the male one said this. And then the female one said this, no, but um, <laughs> I had the female one first. And then I had the male one, but, um, she, I talked to her, she brought it up too. And I, and she was like, you know, you, if you wait to do, to do things like your life goals, like I'm going to, I want to write a book and I want to do all these programs, all these things. She's like, if you wait until you know everything, you're never going to do it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, Oh, that's so true. Like yeah. I've tried, I've kept that in my head and this in the male therapist is like, you know, what if you just practice saying, I don't know, like, do you need to mm. like, question your question? Like what question the, the assumption that I have is that I have to know everything before I can help people. Is that actually true? Like, do I have mm. to know all the answers about rheumatoid arthritis when actually nobody knows all the answers anyway you know I was just like, gonna say nobody has all the like answers. actually don't flatter yourself to think that like you could even figure out all the answers like, right, right. like because I literally well, I, yeah anyway so yeah well I was gonna say like it's interesting you say that because I feel like I mean you definitely do feel like an authority on it like I do like you're mm-hmm. well read and you definitely research things and I I definitely appreciate that but you're also very relatable and very you're also very open and you Put a lot, your all of your own experiences out there, which I think resonates. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't want to listen to somebody who doesn't have RA tell me about yeah. RA. I mean, maybe if they're a doctor, it's better okay, than nothing, fine, and they've studied yeah. it. Yeah, like yeah. fine. But there's a lot of value in hearing from someone who's not only educated but also totally understands the the symptom. I mean, it's nice that you understand specifically RA, but you know, with any autoimmune, there's a lot yeah. of with a lot of autoimmunes, there's a lot of overlapping symptoms. And so like, you understand the complexity of that and the emotional side of it. Like, that's a part that none of my rheumatologists that I've ever had have mm-hmm. really understood is the, or even talked about is like the mental health side, the, yeah. the yeah. anxiety, the depression. And I was never diagnosed with anything beforehand. As an adult, I do feel like I probably should have been because of various things which is a whole other story but um but I'm you know I'm a functioning adult so that's fine but like that definitely plays into RA and I don't think that's something that they they don't really know how to talk about it I don't you know and they're Um, they're not trained to but if you do you know I think there has been a sea change in a lot of like chronic conditions I guess I would hope there would be um, I might be just like selectively filtering what I see, but, um, you know, understanding that there are many triggers of inflammation, dietary triggers, mm-hmm. sleep, exercise, mm-hmm. lack of exercise and movement and mental health mm-hmm. stress triggers inflammation. And that's part of the, you have an inflammatory disease process, but it's just, they just don't have adequate time to, you know, talk about everything that, that they might want to talk totally. about um well, but, but yeah and I, sh- I should just say here they have all mentioned to me well the ones that I've had since I started working night shift they've all said to me like 12 hour night shifts in the ER like what can yeah. you not do that please and I was always like no no that's not the issue I'm the like, exception yeah <laughs> right yeah so they did try on some levels <laughs> with some things I, you know and I was like no <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, again, there's a real stubborn streak in rheumatoid arthritis, yeah. uh, for better or for worse, yeah. but okay. For so sure. it's time for rapid fire, rapid okay. fire questions, which 
is they can be, they don't need to literally be like one word, but, um, I have a system fun questions. Um, first is like, what's like your best piece of advice or word of wisdom or encouragement for a newly diagnosed patient? That's a lot. That could be a whole episode. That is a whole episode, but yeah, I know exactly. Um, gosh, I mean, I think what I would say when we already talked about it, but it's really just, it's a journey. And if you come from a place of wanting to just take care of yourself the way that you would want to take care of a loved one, then you will steer yourself. Okay. Mm. But I just, it's not a straight line. It's not something that you're just going to take, you know, take care of and be done. It's just, it's, it's a roller coaster. And so just Mm -hmm. know that going Mm -hmm. in that like, there's a lot of things that are in your power to help take care of yourself and, and know that, but also know that there's a lot of unknowns. So just keeping yourself, you know, and what your needs are and whatever those may be, and they might change, but like, just keep that at the forefront and you'll, you'll just have to keep course correcting as you go. I know. I really wish I had thought of that when I got diagnosed or known that or internalized it. Again, my sister's actually really she always mentioned, she always mentions like there, it was really instructive for her to be like, she was at my bedside, like during our C-section for Charlie. And then she was there, you know, the whole time. And she, um, after, you know, for two nights at the hospital and everything. And she says that there were so many times I told her, no one told me this or no one told me that. And she was like, literally physically there and heard them tell mm. me, but she was like, the things we tell patients is not necessarily what they remember mm-hmm. or hear. Oh, and, yeah. and so I thought, mm-hmm. so sometimes I'll say no one, no doctor ever told me this. And that, but I'll kind of try to amend that a lot of times be like, I don't remember anyone telling me this because <laughs> yeah. it's very possible. Yeah. You know, they said right. this, like, I'm like, yeah. blah, blah, blah. They're saying all these things in my head, the, the messages I'm filtering through are it in my initial diagnosis appointment, I was right. I'm not crazy. I'm not a hypochondriac. Mm-hmm. I have a diagnosis. There's some shit you can do about it. Woohoo! Like, right, what's the problem? Right. Why are you looking so serious? <laughs> like, this is a net win for me because it means I'm not suffering yes. and literally wasting away for no yeah. reason. There was nothing stressing me out. Sorry, I feel really defensive about this, and I've processed <laughs> it many times. And it's apparently going to be a perpetual problem. I'm like. Like it's so it's so rare to have someone with no no traumatic childhood, no traumatic events. Mm-hmm. Every both my psychiatrist and psychologist have confirmed my family and my upbringing were a positive outlier, like literally a positive outlier. Like wonderful family, wonderful wow. everything, literally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm like they could be like, you're just stressed nothing was stressing me out you people telling me i'm not sick when i'm clearly sick is what's stressing me out exactly <laughs> like getting sick out of nowhere is a stressful experience especially when every time you try to get help they tell you they tell you you're not yeah. you're like i okay now i'm officially stressed and about right. you people um right sorry oh no back to you no okay. i get it i'm sure yeah there might be some of those moments and maybe even in the ER where someone's like, I told the doctor that this is weird, like stomach pain I've been having in my lower left abdominal quadrant. And they were like, no big mm-hmm. deal. And they're like, it's appendicitis. Like I was right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> or is, is appendicitis mm-hmm. in the right quadrant or the left? I always forget. Well, so it's, it's in the right quadrant. Your appendix oh. is in the right lower quadrant, but you can have pain 
in the left quadrant and it can still be appendicitis. I so, hate bodies. Did I mention? Yeah. <laughs> you can also, a lot of people start like periumbilical, which is like around the belly button. Oh. If it starts there and then it migrates to the right, that happens a lot too. But we usually, like in the ER, we look further, like, do they have a fever? Do they have an elevated white blood cell count? Like there's other things that we use. And then we cat scan them and see their giant appendix yeah. all inflamed. Side note, I had a friend, I have a friend who had acute appendicitis at 32 weeks pregnant and it wasn't in the right area. So they didn't catch it at first because everything moves around when you're pregnant. And then she had a successful appendectomy and the the baby stayed in until full term. Oh, wow. Isn't that, I know. That's so cool. Put me in the textbook. Okay. Um, What's the favorite arthritis gadget or tool in your toolbox? Um, So I actually was thinking about this. It's, my gloves, which I got because of you. That's come up every time. Yeah. My gloves and, and my mouse, which I don't have because I'm not at my desk, but the mm. mouse, ergonomic mouse. Yeah. Um, I got, yeah, I got one. Mine's blue, but it's the exact same one. I exactly. And ordered it because of you. And as someone who, you know, then I started grad school and it, I mean, I, it makes a world of difference. I never would have thought something like it seemed minor, but Cause I don't oh. sit in front of a computer all day or anything like that. Like, to me, that's something, but it's, yeah, it makes such a difference. This is like super nerding out, but, um, like if you do, I'm, I know you learn the anatomy and physiology in, in nursing school, but if you, you know, really get into like the kinesiology of the hand specifically, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. was so many muscles, so many tendons, so many, you know, mm-hmm. it is those small changes holding a mouse like this versus having that rest, you know, having it yep. more with your wrist like this versus that there's these tiny differences mm-hmm. that make, yeah, huge over time. Such a difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. and do you have a favorite, um, piece of like content you've either like a book or a movie or show that you've been into recently? Um, I just read do a book. Do you have any time? <laughs> like your three kids. I, know, I, know. <laughs> um, I did just finish a book that's called, I wish I had it up here. It's downstairs at my desk too. Um, it's called Cassandra Speaks. Oh. And the author is Elizabeth Lesser, I think okay. is her name. Um, but the book is actually about, it talks about how a lot of the stories of the world have been told from a male perspective. And if they were told mm. from a female's perspective, what a difference it would make. Yeah. It's just interesting. Oh, I it's an interesting that. book. It's really, yeah, it's good. It's good. And it just, it kind of helps you think about perspective, mm-hmm. which if you're dealing with an autoimmune and you're, you know, like even in that it, it helps with things. Cause I'm like, well, I'm, I'm projecting it that way, or I'm, I'm encapsulating my disease that way what Mm. if I look at it from this perspective or you know what I mean like it doesn't have to be all or nothing I don't have to be a varsity athlete anymore I'm I'm not a varsity athlete anymore (laughs) so that's not what we need to achieve I don't need to be you know but if I get up and move is that good enough for me yeah that's good enough for me so like yeah it's a great story like it's a feminist story I'm kind of a feminist here. So I like that, but it also was just about perspective and kind of thinking about things and in, in different ways. So it's good. I love that. And I think, you know, I think if you were an athlete growing up, it's like you define yourself by these results, right? But 100%. like I got this and I still remember my best mile time, you know, I'm like, ah, I'm a badass, you know, but, oh my gosh. Yeah. But like, I was gonna say, my daughter's on the swim team and I just entered that world. So now I'm sitting there going, Oh, when I was 11 and 12, I got these times. Oh yeah. Like, 
my splits were 62 or whatever. What were yours? Yeah. I know. It's so funny. It stays with you and it's good. I'm, I'm always going to be proud of that. But if you look objectively at the amount of effort it took, you know, me to run a five and a half minute mile is the same effort it would take me today to run. I don't know, an eight to nine minute mile, not even (laughs) probably more like nine to 10, because I'm really not in in shape right now. But at the same time, that's the same. It's the same effort. So what is it that you're going to define yourself by, you know? Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that growth mindset thing they're saying about kids. You know, you have to like praise the effort, not just the result, but I'm like, Yep. human beings are always going to be results oriented. But also, like, yeah, like, exactly. Like, <laughs> but I'm like that mama. It's like, not everybody gets a medal. Okay. So no, I, I told like, you, yeah, <laughs> I told you, I just, harsh, but. I'm like, you know, certain people, some things come easily, different people. Like you learn to read really easily. Like you are, he's reading like so far beyond his grade level. It's crazy. But I'm like, but drawing is really hard for him. So of course what he's, he's taking mm-hmm. for granted the things that are easy for him. And he's like, but I really want to draw as well as, you know, this person in my class. And it's like, you, you're, this is your best. Like you can't do her best. Right. Like she's doing right. Her best. And I'm right. like, you're doing, and I'm like, that's, that's the same coaching. My parents had to give me and it took a long time to try. <laughs> right. So they'd be like, I still remember like Amy Desaki, like her pointillism art was so perfect. It was so perfect. <laughs> she got all her little dots and I wanted to be like her so badly. Um, yep. and so anyway, we have to deal with the issues. <laughs> Um, do you have a favorite mantra or inspirational saying or something you repeat to yourself in tough times? Um, well, it's okay if you don't, I know I, you know, the one that comes to mind and I, pardon me, I mean, I almost don't want to, I think I've said this one on one of the room to thrive, um, one of our meetings, um, when I, when the pain is, and this is like, if the pain's really bad, like usually this is if I was coming home from a shift, to be honest with you and uh. sitting in the car, trying to drive and my, like just from the waist down, basically like my hips, my knees, my feet, mm-hmm. everything is just hurting so much. Um, but I would just repeat to myself, it's just pain over mm-hmm. and over mm-hmm. and over. And, and I'm not, not in the sense of like, it's just pain, like no pain, no gain. I don't mean that. I mean, like, it's just pain. It's something that my body is feeling. It doesn't have to be emotional. It's a feeling mm-hmm. that I feel, but it, I don't, for me, like I would tie it into because when we're dealing with chronic issues like this, you're like, well, what is this pain? Okay. I'm, oh. Am I headed into a flare? Am I going to not be able to walk? Am I, you know, am I going to be able to lift my daughter up? Am I going to be able to get up and down the stairs and lift mm-hmm. the laundry? And mm-hmm. it's not those things. It's just right now it hurts. That's all we're at. That's all it is right now. It hurts. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I can get home and deal with it and, you know, cause that usually it was in the car when I would do this. Um, and I had to like, a 40 minute drive usually. So it was like, I just have to do this for 40 minutes and then I can do it at stretch and I'll feel, and I know I'll feel better. But so for me, it was, it's just pain. It's just pain. And I would repeat it. And I would, I would be crying sometimes like, Mm. but it's just pain. It's not the end of my world. It's not the end of my life. It's not, it's just pain. It just hurt. And so I would just repeat, it's just pain until, I mean, until it wasn't there anymore. And I could, but for, I don't know, for me, that helped me, like I said, take the emotion out of it and be like, it's just a physical feeling. It's, yeah. It's yeah. Feeding. It's going to go away. I'm not going to feel, I mean, do I feel this every day? Kind of, but like, it Maybe goes not away. That intensity. you know, like, yeah, not that intensity. Right. And mm-hmm. so that was one thing. Um, 
the other thing, and I, this is sort of a, a weird one to say, but my sister told me this story and I can't even retell the story because there's details that I don't remember to it. But basically there's the story of a friend of my sister's met this woman and she was on like a yoga retreat somewhere mm-hmm, and it was in mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. it was in like somewhere beautiful right so um I don't remember exactly where but like somewhere some beautiful like tropical place and so there was this woman who um everyone they were staying like in this people knew who she was she had had like a ton of children she did all this work in the village blah blah, blah. and so my sister's friend said to her how do you how do you do how do you get all of this done like how do you do it and <laughs> there's more to the story but basically she was like she said ek 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 so ek which that's all she said ek 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 which basically just means one 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 one. yeah and so my so the nice thing is like my sister is the one who told me this story but sometimes I can say to her like having a bad RA day she'll just reply to me ek 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 and it's like one minute at a time yeah just do one right like one just do what what's the one thing you're doing right now whatever it is, you know, yeah. and you just, and it's that reminder of like, and that's been, I've been thinking of that a lot lately because there's a lot of like, um, for me, it's like, what am I doing now career-wise? If I'm not in the ear, mm-hmm. what am I doing? There's all this, and it's like, just right now, just this, right, stay in this moment. This is mm-hmm. what I'm doing. You know, or, I so, love that. Those it are the two things I say the most probably. That reminds me a lot of that um, opening to the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where she's like, you can do anything for 10 seconds. Like, I don't know if you just watched that right. show, but it's like, you know, happened, um, but <laughs> yeah. And, but the, the just pain thing is really interesting. And it, there's that something I say to myself about anxiety too, like, cause I still am prone to like claustrophobia induced like panic attacks and episodes where I really hate feeling like I can't escape something, whether it's like mm. an airplane or an elevator and car wash, like literally anything being in a tunnel in traffic, you know? Um, mm-hmm. and so I'd be like, it's just like, what's happening is anxiety. Like, it's just, it's a story. My brain is telling myself it's flooding yeah. me with chemicals and I'm feeling dizzy and I'm feeling like I'm about to go, you know, burst out of my head or mm-hmm. something, but it's just anxiety. It's so I don't know mm-hmm. why, but that does sometimes it helps. Other times it doesn't. Yeah. You kind of have to have lots yeah. of tools in the toolbox. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, and then, you know, it's funny. Okay. I was, well, I was just gonna say with anxiety, like I've never actually applied it and I should, cause I, my daughter has anxiety and I've, mm. I've said to her before, this is your mind telling you a story. That's not yes. true. Yeah. Like your mind is telling you like she, she is swimming now. And so she's afraid to dive off the block for races. And, stuff. and I'm like, first of all, you don't have to, we'll, we'll get to that point. <laughs> but second of all, like your mind is telling you it's really high up. It's really scary. What happens if you enter the water mm-hmm. wrong or you know whatever and it's like but physically can you do it yeah you can yeah. you definitely can it's your yeah. mind telling so I I should use that for myself too <laughs> is it no it's true it's so yeah smart. interesting or thank you brain I'll try I'll try to if I'm in the early stages of ramping mm. up I'll be like thank you brain for trying to protect me I know you're trying to tell me <sighs> that smart. this is yeah. because it is I really think I, I always like tell my husband I'm like it's like I would have been the person like going into the cave and the caveman days been like, guys, we got to think of a way out. Like we don't want to get trapped in here. Like <laughs> right. there's an evolutionary advantage to like thinking of the worst case scenario yeah. constantly, yes. you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. And anyway, um, so I'm like, thank you brain. Like you're a really good, you know, thinker over there thinking of all the worst case scenarios, you know? Um, yeah. 
but, and then, okay. Last two questions. What is bringing you joy right now? What is bringing me joy right now? Um, what sparks joy? Well, <laughs> um, my schoolwork and, and that community of, because COVID was really hard. <laughs> Working in the ER was really hard during the pandemic. And I was shocked that, to hear that. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Oh, and that was what I was going to ask. I kept thinking, what was I going to ask? Yeah. Oh. That, okay. Sorry. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I'm always but, sick of talking yeah, about it. So, yeah. No, not, um, but, but just having that community where, um, it meets so many needs for me. Like it's intellectually mm-hmm. stimulating. It's something mm-hmm. I'm passionate and interested about. Um, it's, you know, it's fun being an adult learner when you're learning things you really want to learn and pursue. And then to feel like that education has helped so much with, with my own medicine and my own care of the disease. Like I've, I've felt really empowered with that. So, yeah. um, Honestly, it's probably, yeah, that. And cool. What is it in that? You said it's a master's in what? It's so the title, it's a master's in medicinal cannabis science and therapeutics. Wow. Okay. Which is, yeah. So it's through the school of pharmacy at the university of Maryland. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. It's through school of pharmacy. Mm-hmm. I'm just writing this down because I think people yeah. will be really interested in that. Um, yeah. And then last one, just a small question. Mm-hmm. What does it mean for you to live a good life with rheumatoid arthritis? <laughs> hey, and also what's the meaning of life as long as we have time <laughs> yeah, yeah right <laughs> um you know I think I kind of go back to like what I was saying for someone newly diagnosed like it's really just about just being like honoring myself and mm. and because I think I've always been that person that was like I'll just bear the brunt of, of whatever. And I'm, I can take it. I can take it on. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've, I've with my siblings and with like, I've kind of always been that person because it wasn't, it never felt like it was that hard for me. It was like, well, it's easy. I can just do it. I'll just Mm -hmm. not like I'll take on the task, but like I'll, I'll like, I remember we would like, if we'd be going through trying to pick out food or something like that, it'd be like, well, I'll just take whatever's left. Like you guys get what you're all, you know, and it's like, for me with RA, I can't be the last one every single time. Maybe Mm -hmm. sometimes I am, Mm -hmm. but sometimes Mm -hmm. my kids have to have to wait. It sometimes it's a no, because tonight mommy needs to take care of myself. So for me, I think it's just keeping, not necessarily that I'm always first, but like, well, maybe that I am always first. And that's a, like, sometimes I know I'm like, okay, I need to do this, but I can do, I can help the kids with whatever. Like, right. But just right, knowing right, like right. I'm keeping my needs at the top, because if I don't manage those needs, everything will fall apart. Oh, and just, yeah. And knowing that that's not being dramatic, that's being honest and real about this disease that I have to manage every day and not being mad about it or bitter or just being like, it's okay. This is what it is. And this is what I need to care for myself. Like that I think is for me, like that's a huge achievement to not either feel self-pity or guilty or shame. Yeah, no, it's so true. I absolutely relate to that so much. My disease has taught me to have better boundaries. It's Mm -hmm. taught me that it's okay for me to say no to things. I don't have to say yes Mm -hmm. to everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And 
you know, yeah, but it can, it can be hard when you define yourself as being that person that's always reliable, the person that always does everything, the person that's there for everyone, but you know, you are only human and, and and having boundaries is a good thing. Even if you didn't have this disease, you know what I mean? I was just going to say, and it, yeah, Yeah. it it doesn't have to be just because I have already, but yeah. Apparently I needed to have a chronic illness. No, so we're the same. We are, we are soul sisters here. Yeah. <laughs> and that there is a, we're in the, what they call the Oregon trail generation, you know, the generation yeah, that's right. It's a really unique generation between Gen X and millennials. Like yep. it is kind of interesting, but um, okay. Well, thank you yeah. so much. I know we've gone over, but it's, I, we talked earlier that it would be okay to go over, but um, I'm, yes, I'm yes. grateful. And if people want to connect to you, online um i'm going to put your links in the sh- in the show notes but yeah. what's your instagram handle um it's epk jacobs all right perfect that's is there anything where else? you can find me for everything yeah is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up no we just thank you everything. so much <laughs> okay. i know and i just you're wonderful and i'm so thankful oh. for everything that you're doing because this community needs you. So thank you. Thank you. you. No. And speaking about, you know, being thinking of, um, not overtaxing yourself or having boundaries. I am trying to like, um, my kind of, one of my goals for 20, first of all, thank you. I don't want to gloss over that. I I appreciate (laughs) that because the worst thing, right. Would be to have like, be like, I have this great idea. I'm going to make this program and have people be like, we don't like this (laughs) or (laughs) this wasn't helpful. Like I I don't take it for granted that people are finding it. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, and, and then, but I'm also, am trying to think about ways to kind of make it sustainable. Um, um, Mm. I don't have to necessarily grow beyond, you know, what I, have right now in terms of like groups and stuff, but I'm like thinking, you know, I mean, I did get COVID back in August and luckily it was a week I was planning on taking vacation anyway, but I'm like, okay, trying to think like, again, you know, plan A, plan B, plan C, and how can I make Mm -hmm. this maybe bring in some more facilitators and make it so that it's not just dependent on me that way. It's, um, that maybe other people can replicate and get, you know, spread to more, have it something because it's like right now it's like you just randomly you know people find me through like either the podcast or through like I looked mm-hmm. up the hashtag rheumatoid arthritis on Instagram if I like yeah I, I think I want to figure out how to make it like you know available or, and, yeah yeah known to people people who might want this are out there uh who might want room to thrive or you know more support than they're getting um so yeah. so anyway so sorry <laughs> that's about yeah. me but no that's okay yeah that's awesome I'm so glad to hear that because it's, yeah. it's helpful for anyone, whether you're at the very beginning or you've been dealing with it, like we have for well, nearly 20 years, it's, Yeah, anybody will get value from it. So Thank that's you. another huge thing. That's actually yeah. one of the most frequent asked questions I get. And I actually have said like, what's weird, because I was concerned about that at first, but first of all, there's benefits in having groups like multi-generational groups um, in terms mm-hmm. of age and in terms of language yes. diagnosis. Um, totally. Because, yep. you know, we have some like the 22 year olds that are like, my boyfriend's being mean to me because of my arthritis. And then they have like, the, you know, people in their middle age, like, oh, he's not worth it. You know, like you have that. <laughs> right. You also have the like people who've had it, like the, 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 the feedback I get from people who've had it longer is actually sometimes more positive than the feedback from people who have it shorter in the sense that they have experienced the pain and isolation of trying to figure it out on your own. So yes. like just got diagnosed. So like, this is great, but like, I didn't have to have that pain before of not having 
some this kind of support. So, so anyway, so that's yeah. why I tell people, but I'm also like, yeah, I mean, like I, someone asked me, like, am I going to learn anything in your program that I don't already know? And I was like, well, I can't answer that without knowing everything that, you know, <laughs> like, right. but I'm like, you know, it is a twofold. It's, it's information. And I said, definitely the mental health and the social, you know, the social and relationship parts are things that a lot of people never get any instruction in yeah. the basic pain management techniques. They often do know if you've had it for a while, but um, but I said the community is not something that a lot of people have had either. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. but I should wrap up. It's early release day for Charlie. So <laughs> gotcha. okay. for parent teacher conferences, but thank you so, oh, so fun. much. I really, yeah. really appreciate oh, it. Thank you. Yes. Anytime. Okay. Cheryl. <laughs> Bye. For- thank you so much for listening to another episode of the arthritis life podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you. Now.